0: everybody. Thank you for all of you who are worshiping with us online. We're so grateful that you're a part of the service today. Wherever you are in the world, we're so grateful that you've joined us and everybody that is in person. I have got something in my throat. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's a little bit something. If somebody has water anywhere back there, guys, if you'd get me some, I'd sure appreciate it. Uh, We've been in a series entitled The Unlikely Characters of Christmas, and we've done something very, very different. Uh, Over the last couple of weeks, I have been on uh, one of uh, of our other campuses. Like two weeks ago, I was preaching live at our Richmond Rosenberg campus, and then last Sunday at our Missouri City campus, and we had, oh, thank you so much. And we had uh, Pastor uh, Clint Smith, who was preaching here uh, the first week, and then Pastor Tim Homa here the second week. And we have been sort of going around uh, uh, to all of the campuses, and it's been a cool experience. When I was at the Missouri City campus last Sunday, I realized this is the first time in years that I have been there and preached live. And I've got to do that more often. So what a great experience this has been, really quite honestly, I think for the whole congregation. But I'm back now. Everybody is back where they are. And so you're stuck with me today. I am so sorry. I am so sorry, but what a great worship team. We've been all going together, and they're back at Sugarland. and wow, what a great worship team. There was a woman, would you mind if I took a little drink of water real quick? There was still a woman who was getting, trying to get ready for Christmas, and you know, all the stuff the 1st of December, trying to get everything done. You got all the decorations you gotta take care of, you got all of the presents, for crying out loud, of everybody that you can imagine. And husbands sometimes are absolutely no help. And then you got all the Christmas cards to to get out. She had 30 cards she was sending out. All the events you gotta go to, I mean, it's crazy. And so she was, but she's a very organized woman. she got a list, she loves going down, checking off the different things on the list. So she was really after it. of December. It had to be pre-Amazon.com days because this woman was going from one store to the other, to the other, to the other, to the other. But she was going down the list. She was getting everything. She had thought it all out. And in one of those stores at the checkout counter, to her surprise, they were selling Christmas cards at half price. Well, she needed 30. They were only selling them in 50 Card lots in that box, but it's half price. So she picked it up. She looked at the the picture on the outside. It was a sweet little Christmas picture. So she put it in the list in the group and she bought those cards. Well, she was working and working, got home that night and she wanted to rest, but she thought to herself, no, I've got to keep being productive. And I know what I could do. I could take care of all the Christmas cards right now. So she got out the Christmas cards and she just began signing them. She wasn't saying some personal note to everybody. She didn't have time for that. She just signed one after another, after another, after another. And in fact, she was in such a hurry to get them all signed, she didn't even read what was inside the card, but why read it? It just says, blah, 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 Merry Christmas. So she just signed all of the cards and she addressed all the envelopes, put stamps on all of the cards, the envelopes, and she drove all the way to the post office and she put them in the mail. Wow, she could check off another thing she was being so productive. Well, in a couple of days, she kept going, kept going. She now had the tree trimmed. She had the decorations out. She had more shopping done. She was so proud of herself. So she was at night, she was sitting down on the sofa, looking at the Christmas tree, all lit up and sort of basking in her success. She had a cup of coffee in her hand. She put her feet up and she thought to herself as she looked at the the coffee table, oh, there's the leftover cards. I think I'll just see what the card actually said. Reached over, got the box, opened up the card. In about two seconds, she said, oh no! Because inside the card, it said, this card is just to say a little gift is on its way. (laughs) 30 of these cards went out. So here's my recommendation. Look at the card, read what it says. I know, blah, 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 Merry Christmas, but that blah, blah, blah may be very, very important. So read the Christmas card before you send it. In the series, The Unlikely Characters of Christmas, I actually have the most unlikely of all the characters. And it's fitting that this would be the last in the series. But before I get to the wise men, it's obvious that I'm gonna be talking about the wise men today. Before I get to the wise men, I got some things that I just wanna get off my chest a little bit, okay? I haven't, 19 years, I've never said a word about these things, but I've had these thoughts before and I might as well just get them out. It's not a big deal, it's just triviality, I know. But for instance, The Christmas carol, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. It's describing the night in which Jesus is born. That's what the rest of the song is talking about. How many of you have... It was a holy night, but how many of you have ever been to the birth of a child? Well, technically all of us, but we were little children. We were the ones being born. So how many of you have ever been to the birth of a child that was someone other than you? Okay, I have been to two. I have been to two, two, both of my sons. I was there, and I'm here to tell you, both nights were not silent nights. There was a lot of commotion going on, I can tell you. And at least on the first one, I know of one person, me, who was not all that calm. This is the story uh, that when I read, I have to get on the other side of that little technicality. Because Silent Night, Holy Night is a great song. There's a second Christmas carol that I got a little bit of a question about. And it's a great song. Away in a Manger, come on. We've been singing that since when? Away in a Manger, it's a great song. But there is one verse of the song that I've struggled with a little bit, and I'm just being honest with you. I did a little research, and I know you're saying, seriously, did research on a verse of that song? I did. I did a little research on it, and I discovered that this verse that I struggle with on that song was added way later. It was not part of the original song, and I think that the add-on was was not a good idea. So here here it is, way in a manger. You remember the verse that, that goes, the cattle are lowing, the baby awakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes? I'm not really buying that, I don't think. There's no place in the Bible that says Jesus never cried. He was a baby for crying out loud. Of course he cried from time to time. Oh, all babies cry. So I'm not sure why we would have to have a verse that's saying that he doesn't, he didn't cry at that moment. So I want you to listen to the verse. The cattle are lowing. Lowing means mooing. But in the morning, it's a loud mooing. It's not a low mooing, lowing. It is a high mooing. It is a loud mooing. Why? Because they're hungry. Have you ever Listen to cattle, to cows. When they wake up in the morning, they're very hungry and they're expecting a little bit more, more than grass. I want something special. I've actually experienced that. They moo loud, but they, these cows are not out in a the pasture. They're in a barn, a closed up space, and they wake up and they're hungry. Let us out and they're lowing, they're mooing, but they're mooing loudly. So loudly it startles the baby. The poor baby wakes is how the verse goes. I'm thinking that anytime any of us are awakened from our sleep suddenly by a loud noise, we always turn to the source of the noise and there is a cow face with bowling ball eyes and this poor little baby sees that, and you think to me, the baby will not cry. I'm not buying the verse. I just want a verse that I think is for real. So there are times in which the song is going on that I've just not sung that verse. I've just thought, I, I cannot, I can't sing that. I don't think that's actually true. And some of you are saying, you are a pathetic guy if this, this is what you're struggling with. There's one other thing, I want to get it straight, and that is that the wise men were not part of the nativity. They're part of the story, yes, but they were not at the manger when Jesus was born. Now, they're included in the nativity because they're part of the story, and we're trying to bring the whole story together. But technically, they don't come for weeks, maybe months. And in fact, it might be that by the time they show up, Jesus is actually walking now. We're not sure. In fact, in the verse it says that when the wise men come, they come to the house where Jesus is, not the barn, not the manger. They're In the pageantry that we see the plays, there's the shepherds, they come in and they see the baby and they kneel and they worship the baby. And then uh, in comes the pageantry of the three wise men and there they are. And then we see all them on their camels and all that sort of thing. But that didn't actually happen at that moment. And by the way, we don't know there were three wise men. We three kings of Orient are. We don't know that. We know there were three gifts but there could be 10 wise men for all we know. We're not given the number. So now I've messed up Christmas for you, haven't I? I am really sorry, but I want to get this thing exactly straight. It's the wise men that I'm talking to you about today, and they are the most unlikely characters of Christmas. And so the very first point that I want to make as we talk about this today is simply this idea, I want to explain the presence of the wise men in the Christmas story. Probably like me, you have just heard the story of the wise men, you don't push back and ask the questions, but there are questions to be asked, like who are these wise men? Who are these magi? And how did they even know? Where did they come from? And how do they even know that this birth has happened? And why would they travel so far? So who are these wise men? Well, these magi were a group of Persian leaders and astronomers who lived in Southern Arabia. Now, if you got out a map, you would discover that Southern Arabia is 1,000 miles away from Jerusalem. This is a long way, especially there were no flights uh, that were happening, you gotta go on camel and it takes a while, months to get to Jerusalem. So how did they know that there, these star arrangements or whatever that they saw pointed to this idea that a child had been born and why did they go so far? Well, the answer, the short answer to all of this is one word, Daniel. Daniel, the Old Testament prophet, the Old Testament guy, he is why the Magi are there. So, uh, what happened? Well, I'm going to try to make it as, as short as possible, but clear. 600 years before Jesus was born, Daniel lived. 600 years before Jesus was born. Uh, The Jewish people were living far, far from God. They, They were just experiencing religion. It was mindless religion. They were doing all the religious things, but there wasn't any real change or difference in their lives because of it. And they had gotten so far away from God that God allowed the Babylonian empire that was sweeping in and and, uh, defeating all these other countries to come and sack Jerusalem, destroy Jerusalem. They tore down the temple, all the things that Jewish people thought God would never allow, he allowed to happen. And then they took away from Jerusalem and the surrounding uh, cities, they took thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Jews. Captive all the way back to Babylon, 1,000 miles away. That's what they did in that day they didn't just come and defeat a nation and leave it in ruins because these people would gather things back together again rebuild and now they'd be a problem again so what they would do is take these people hostage all the way back to the Babylonian Empire and they would carve out a section now that's your section you're not behind bars but we're not letting you organize again we're not gonna let you become an enemy So this is what they did. All this way, a thousand miles away, they took hundreds of thousands of these Jewish people and resettled them. And one of the people that they took was a guy named Daniel. He was an a, a, a older teenager. He was an exceptionally talented guy in leadership, an amazing leader. And even at that age, it was beginning to be seen. This guy was humble. This guy was an amazing, though, leader, and he was rising to the top through a series of events he rose to the top in the presence of king nebuchadnezzar of babylon and when nebuchadnezzar saw his leadership ability and gift he gave him a place in the leadership in the country it'd be good to do that anyway you've got a jewish young man he can help me with these jewish people When Nebuchadnezzar died, the next king came, and they all saw the same gifting, and Daniel, all these years, was in leadership in Babylon. But a day came in which the Babylonian empire was destroyed by another empire that came in, destroyed them, the Persian empire, but King Darius of the Persian Empire, Saul Daniel. He's not a Babylonian, he is a Jew. I will raise him up in leadership too. And he promoted him to the leadership level of magi. He promoted Daniel to the leadership position of a magi. If you read the book of Daniel, you'll be stunned. When you get to chapter 7 for the rest of the book, it is absolutely shocking how much of the rest then is about prophecy of the first and even, he hints, of a second coming of the Messiah you will find more detail that God gave to Daniel than he gave to anybody else in the Old Testament, more than Isaiah, Jeremiah, or anybody else. It's shocking how detailed he is in chapter seven and on. And Daniel writes the book of Daniel so the Jewish people will know this is what's going to happen. When the Messiah comes, this is what you will experience. This is what's going to take place. But Daniel, with all of this knowledge and information, Daniel is also a magi. And it is obvious that God had given him insight of what it is that he would teach to the other magi about the coming of this Messiah. Because this Messiah, Daniel comes to see, is not just the Messiah of just the Jewish people, but he's the Messiah for the whole world. And since he's the Messiah for all the whole world, these magi need to understand about him. And so it is obvious that God had given him some very specific prophecy that he put down in the magi library. There was a library of these people. And when new magi would come, Daniel's long since dead, new magi would come, they would read all the writings that were in the library, much like we read now 2,000 years later, the the New Testament. They would have all of that available to to be read, and they would read what others have said before them. And then suddenly... All of the signs that God had given to Daniel 600 years before in the heavens are suddenly there. And when the Magi see it and they remember what they were trained as they were in training as a Magi, they realize this is a giant arrow arrow pointing straight to Jerusalem. And they got, some of them got, on their camels and off they went because this was to be the coming of the Messiah for the whole world so it's worth a thousand-mile trip to welcome him where is it that we read the story it's in the gospel of Matthew There's four Gospels, and all the Gospels all say the same things as far as we talk about the different stories in Jesus' life, the different miracles, the different things that he taught us. They teach about his life, his death, burial, resurrection. All of them do. But all four Gospels have a different audience. That's why they were written the way they were written. And Matthew's audience is for the Jewish people, and this is why you will see two particular things he's trying to say in this, in this gospel. The first thing he's trying to say is this is your Messiah that's why in the book of Matthew you will read constantly all the way through the book and the Old Testament said this and this is what one of the prophecies of the Messiah and here Jesus proves that he fulfilled it and then there was this prophecy and Jesus fulfilled it here is this prophecy here is this prophecy this prophecy and this prophecy and Jesus fulfilled them all he is trying to say to the Jewish people who is his audience this is the Messiah he has done exactly what God said he would But there was a second thing. He was also saying to them, but this Messiah that is coming is not just for the Jewish people. It's not just the Jewish Messiah. He is to be the Messiah for the whole world. And that is why in chapter one, he says, Mary, this is Joseph, this is baby Jesus. He didn't even talk about the shepherds. He didn't talk any more about the things you would think of. He immediately in chapter two and says, and look at this group that come 1,000 miles away from where the Jewish people used to live. They came back to Israel. Look at these guys 1,000 miles away who have come to give homage to the king because he is the Messiah for the whole world and not just the Jewish people. And then he caps the book of Matthew with this passage from Jesus what we call the Great Commission, and share the gospel to every nation in all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. He begins, Matthew, and ends, Matthew, by saying he is the Messiah for the whole world. If there was ever a missionary gospel it, was the, it is the gospel of Matthew. All of them are missionary gospels, but especially Matthew. Today, 1.5 billion people in the world have never even heard of Jesus. Never even heard of Jesus. And another 2 billion people in the world have heard about Jesus, have snippets about him, have a little bit of information, but not enough. And if there was ever a time that it is not the time to pull away from missions, if there's ever a time that we need to accelerate our missions, it's now. It's now. It's now when three and a half billion people don't have enough information. They need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Would you give me some grace for just a few minutes? I want to pull away from the message for just a moment. And I want to make a statement about this very thing I'm talking about. This church has been in its entire lifetime, a deeply committed missions church. Long before I ever got here, this church had what was called missions month, which is the month of December. And it is every year. Every time we give money to the, to the budget of our church, a portion of that goes to missions. So every time we give, we are giving a portion of that to what is called missions, uh, foreign missions, home missions. We're giving to that. But then in the month of December, because we want to be so aggressive in reaching people around the world, we have a special offering called Missions Month Offering. Our Missions Month offering this year is $810,000, but over and over the course of these last many years, that's not been a problem for us. We've given over and above to Missions Month offering, but we are in a unique moment in our church in that we haven't been able to send out mission trips. Uh, We haven't had people going on mission trips like we usually do, and because we couldn't because of COVID, and and then uh, our missions pastor, Don Waybright, that led us so well, he has... uh, felt led to go to to another ministry and, and it's just a perfect fit at this moment for him. But we've been without a missions pastor and so we've had no ramp up time. We've had no missions banquet, we've had no ramp up time and here we are now needing to raise this. And here's what I'm asking. I'm asking even if you've never given to missions month, even if it hasn't ever mattered to you before, would you give this year and help us reach this goal. And those of you who have been so deeply committed to missions, I'm asking you especially this year, help us get over this hump as we uh, are trying to raise money for missions. Now, we haven't been taking mission trips, but I'm going to tell you we've been giving money to every single mission partner in Nepal, in India, in Japan, in Indonesia, in... uh, uh, Columbia, in uh, Africa, in uh, Living Water International, in uh, Second Mile Mission Center that we, we support, in reaching people who are impoverished and helping them with their needs and in drilling uh, water wells in different places in the world of people that have never drank fresh water in their life in reaching women that have been trafficked in the most horrible terrible wicked thing and reaching them with the gospel of Christ and then helping train them in another career another job in which they can support their family but they can live for God this church has been so aggressive it has been so strong and I'm asking you to help us because we're so behind In the missions month offering, I'm asking you to care. Now, I'm back to the message. Here are these guys from a thousand miles away and they arrive in Jerusalem and they say in Matthew chapter two, verse two, they ask, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. What star? What star did these guys see? Well, did you know that between five to two BC, which is the period of time most historians believe that Jesus was born during five to two BC? Ancient Egyptian records tell us of a star called the Maserai, which means the birth of a prince. It's what the, mean, the word Mazarai means. And this was not Jewish in its history. It was Egyptian. But they are thinking maybe this was the star. Maybe this is the star they saw. I struggle with that, and here's why. Look at what it says in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 2. And after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place, the house, where the child was. What star does this? What star billions of miles away is moving? Yeah, here we go. And then, oh, stop right here. And actually points out a house? What star does that? It's why there's all kinds of explanations that you'll read out there, all kinds, and some of them are not so good and others better, but there is one explanation I really believe is right. It's from John MacArthur, and listen to what MacArthur says. What the Magi saw wasn't a star at all, but rather the glory of God. The word translated star in the verse is the word aster, A-S-T-E-R, which means the shining. It doesn't even, doesn't have to be translated as a star. It means the shining. Do You remember all those stories in the Old Testament about, okay, and God directed the people of Israel through the wilderness as a cloud by day and a fire by night? and the many times in which the glory of the Lord shone round about. What about the shepherds? When the shepherds, the angel appears, and it says, and the glory of the Lord shone round about. What was that? It was the glory, the Shekinah glory, the shining. And I think to myself, maybe the answer of this story is that God said, okay, this is the moment. Here's what you were looking for, and the shining got their attention and brought them all the way to Jerusalem and then all the way to the house where Jesus was. Well, they arrived in Jerusalem It made sense for them to go. They say, where is this this child that was born, King of the Jews? The word gets to King Herod, he's troubled by it. Uh, Matthew chapter two, verse three says, and when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him because he was such an evil man, they didn't know what he'd do next. So he brought the religious leaders in. Where is this Messiah supposed to be born? They said in Bethlehem. So King Herod said to these these, uh, wise men, you go to Bethlehem, you find him, come back, tell me where he is so I can go and worship him. But translated means so I can go and kill him. King Herod was an amazing man, a visionary beyond any visionary I've ever heard of, a builder that was incredible, but also a desperately wicked man and he wanted to kill Jesus. I don't have to tell you anymore, Pastor Tim was here last week and explained the whole idea of this this King Herod. But here's now what I want to say. Stop for a moment and think about the surprising reality about the Son of God these wise men experienced. would have made sense if this guy, this person that's been born, king of the Jews, would be born in a palace. That's why they came to Jerusalem. Of course, he's probably the son of the king. So let's go to the palace. They didn't know anything about it. Well, then he's got to be a child of a wealthy person, of a powerful person, a person in government somewhere, someone who has authority. Surely he is the child of someone like that. But nobody, nobody knew anything about him. Who God invited to the birthday party of Jesus was a man and a woman impoverished who lived in the backside of nowhere. Nobody knew them. And that's who God picked. Well, surely at the birth of Jesus, God would invite the religious leaders, the big-time pastors of the day, the religious leaders, they didn't know anything about it. In fact, you know what strikes me? Here, Herod brings these religious leaders Where's the Messiah to be born. It's gonna be born in Bethlehem. Well, then he goes and says to these wise men, go to Bethlehem. Bethlehem's only five miles away. Why didn't the religious leaders go with them? Is there a chance the Messiah has been born? Let's at least go with them. Not one religious leader went with them. Oh, they don't know anything. They're just Gentiles. God wouldn't tell them anything. No, God didn't invite even the religious leaders, so full of themselves. So, who did God invite? He invited an impoverished young couple from the backside of nowhere and smelly shepherds that smell like sheep. They haven't had a bath in who knows how long. And an old man named Simeon, have you read that? Why isn't he in the nativity set? I don't understand how he didn't make it. Simeon in Luke chapter 2 and an old woman named Anna, why didn't she make the nativity set? He invited them. And these wise men from a 1,000 miles away, these Gentiles who don't know anything, why? Why? Because the people that God invites into his presence are those who have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that is open to him. Not people with money, not people with power, not people who are religious necessarily, not people like that. He invites people who have a heart that's open. I want to know you. I want a relationship with a living God. He doesn't care if anybody knows you or if you got any money, he didn't care about all that. He just wants someone with ears that hear and eyes that see. And my question is, is that you or not? Listen to what he says in Jeremiah 29, 13. And you shall seek me and find me when you shall have searched for me with all your heart. Do you want me? If you want me, I'll make sure you find me and I will be found of you, says the Lord, and I'll turn away your captivity. Not only will I show myself, you really want me, you really got a heart for me, you got eyes that are open, you got ears that hear, I will open myself to you and I'll make sure you know me. I'll reveal myself to you. And not only that, and if you've got areas in your life you're struggling with, you're in captivity of, I'll free you. I'll release you of your captivity. So let's finish this story. How do we come to know God through this son, Jesus? Matthew 2, verse 2, and they ask, where is the one that's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east. We've come to worship him. And then verse 10 and 11, and when they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. Circle the word house, not stable house. They saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshiped him and they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. See how much these guys wanted to meet Jesus? They went a thousand miles to meet Jesus. Some people won't drive two miles in a car today to go see Jesus and worship him. When you look at the gifts, you find out everything you need to know about Jesus. They brought a gift of gold. Brought by the wise men, they represents a gift you'd make to a king. And he is a king. King of kings and Lord of lords. Their gift of gold was an act to recognize and submit to his lordship. The word Lord means boss. It means the one in charge. You are the boss of me. Lord Jesus, you are the boss of me. I've been on the throne of my own life. I've done what I pleased. I do whatever I want, but I've messed up things. And oh God, I want to know the God of the universe. And I get myself off the throne and I put you on the throne. And I ask you, would you lead my life? Would you guide my life? You can be the boss of me. I want you to be my Lord. Romans ten nine says, if you'll say with your mouth, Jesus, you are boss. You are my Lord. And believe in your heart, not just in your mind, but it changes your life. It gets all the way to your heart. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. The gift we give God this Christmas is the gift of surrender of our life to him. The second is the gift of frankincense, which the wise men brought. It's a gift for a priest a gift for a priest in here. This is why Jesus came. He came to be our high priest. And here's the idea. A priest is a bridge. A priest is sort of a one who puts his hand in the hand of God and puts his other hand in our hand and brings us together. You can know God. You can have a relationship with God. Jesus came to put the hand of his Father in our hand so that we can know God. He came to be our priest to bridge the gap between us and God. And there's one last gift. The gift of myrrh by the wise men was an anointment for a burial. What a weird gift. What a weird gift. Think of yourself as Mary, and here these three total strangers show up at the door and they are honoring my little boy and they give me gold. Okay, gold. I could take gold. Yeah, give me gold as a gift. And then they give me frankincense. I'm, uh, okay, I don't know exactly. Mary didn't have all the answers. Okay, frankincense. And then they give you myrrh. It's the equivalent of embalming fluid. Can I tell you something? If somebody gives me embalming fluid for Christmas, I'm re-gifting. I'm re-gifting it anonymously. I'm not telling anybody. I'm not gonna be associated with this, but I'm giving that thing away. Can you imagine Mary? What? But the three gifts tell the whole story. This King of Kings, Lord of Lords has come to this earth to to help us put our hand in the hand of God, our Father. And in order to do it, he had to die. He had to die for you. And this is Romans 5, 10. And since when we were his enemies, he brought us back to God by the death of his son. What blessings he must have for us now that we are his friends and he is living within us. Have you grabbed hold of these gifts in your own life? You can be the boss of me. You can be my Lord. I want that relationship with my heavenly Father. And I recognize that you died on the cross for me. I give you my heart. Would you do that today? Would you give your heart to Christ? For those of you who are listening online, would you give your heart to Christ today? I wanna know Jesus as my savior. I wanna spend the first Christmas of my life really celebrating Christmas, of what Christmas actually means. I'm giving my life to Christ. Let's bow together. Father, we ask that you would move in hearts today. Online and in present that you would move in our hearts today that we would understand the light turns on Jesus came to be the boss of us and we want him to who else to better show us how to live life than the author of life I want a relationship with God which I have through his son Jesus Christ who died for me and I give my heart to him today. Father, move in hearts today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.